Hey, friends at the cross, I'm Andy Childs, and on behalf of my mom, Gail, and my brother, Alex, and our families, I want to thank you guys for sharing hope with us, for loving on us during some very difficult times. Many of you prayed for and came by to visit us when we were walking through the valley of the shadow of death with my dad as he fought cancer. I'm so thankful that dad knew the Lord Jesus Christ and that from the very beginning to the very end, his number one desire was that Jesus get the glory. I'm also so thankful that he had you guys at the cross. Whether it was people in a small group that he's known for decades, folks that he's met just recently in the last couple of years through the small group, and the ministry there of the cross, I'm just so thankful because his face would light up when you would come by to pray with him, to check on us. My brother and I and my mom are so thankful for just the, the way you continually reached out to us and loved on us and were there for us. And then recently, as my mom had a a scare that she gave us with being found unconscious and being in a coma for six days. Again, we experienced the power of the gospel of hope through you at the cross. And I want to tell you, as a pastor, your pastor can be so encouraged by you, the people of the cross. I know that we hope that our people really hear the messages and that they're willing to pour their life into others. And I can tell you that, friends at the cross, you did that. You were there for us, not only during dad's illness and eventual passing and home going, But you were there with us with mom as we walked through, once again, the uncertainty, the loneliness, the difficulties, and yet you were there. And I'm so thankful that there's a church like the cross. And to those of you who may be watching this video who are not connected to a small group, man, I want to encourage you, take that step of faith. Be courageous and be willing to open your life and share your life with someone else. Because I can promise you my family were blessed by the small group that my mom and dad were a part of. We were blessed by people who were praying. We were blessed by people who came by to pray with us and to hug our necks and sometimes even to bring some food or or bottled water to us. We were so, so thankful for that. And you know, I think about the power of those small groups. And I know in my church that there's no way I can minister to everyone. I, I can't know all the needs, but I'm so thankful that I have men and women who are willing to lean in together and love on each other and do life together through small groups because that's really what makes our church strong. And There at the cross, we've experienced that. I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 15. He talked about how the God of hope would fill us with peace and with joy so that we would overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know, we experienced that. And again, I just want to say on behalf of my mom, Gail, on behalf of my brother, Alex, on behalf of me and our families, thank you, cross. Thank you for loving on us. Thank you for loving on my mom and dad. Thank you for being there for them when they celebrated great times. And thank you for walking through the difficulties with us. And most of all, thank you for sharing hope by being the hope of Christ to us. God bless you. I pray God's richest blessings. I can't wait to continue to hear what God does through your ministry there at the cross. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Uh, Jesus has a very interesting conversation with a guy who's an expert in the law. This guy is a lawyer. Picture in your mind what a lawyer represents. Picture in your mind a guy that has graduated after four years of law school at Harvard, Yale, whatever the great institution, uh, flooded with all this intellect. A lot of uh, people that come out of uh, law school real quick, uh, they can tend to be a little narcissistic and inflated in their thought process and I think probably that's what we're dealing with here in this conversation. It's an expert in the law, and he looks at Jesus and he says, uh, I got a question for you. What must I do 
uh, to inherit eternal life. Now, we understand under the new covenant, there's nothing we can do. Uh, The gospel of Jesus Christ says, done. Legalism in the law says you've got to do in order to measure up. Now, this guy is coming out of years of pharisaical training, probably, and uh, he was a student of the Old Testament, and so it was all based on performance. You've got to keep the Ten Commandments. You've got to do all this, and so he looks at Jesus. What must I do? And I think a lot of people that walk in here on Sundays oftentimes are saying, what do I have to do? Well, I can tell you the good news of the gospel is all you've got to do is respond and receive the good news of Jesus Christ into your life, and it will radically change you if you will uh, surrender to his lordship and leadership. But Jesus looks back at this guy, and Jesus does what Jesus does. He uh, responds to this guy with a question. And if you study the Gospels, Jesus oftentimes was always asking questions back with questions that were fired to him. And uh, repeatedly, he's like, you tell me. And that's what he does here. He's like, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Tell me. What what does the law say? What, what, What does the scripture say? And the lawyer looks at Jesus and says, well, it says love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it says love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus probably smiles at the guy and says, you got it, go live it. And the guy's like, well, I don't know if I really live it and if I even really want to live it. And so he tries to justify himself, right? He looks back at Jesus and says, "Uh, neighbor, who's my neighbor And and so we come in here and we know that oftentimes it's hard for us to love our neighbor. I stand here and I look and I go, do I really have to love guys that wear skinny white jeans? (laughs) I mean, right, do I really have to love people who are all tatted up? Do I have to love people that are into all this body piercing? I am a good old boy, you know, uh, do I really have to love people that listen to rap? Come on, older generation. You know what I'm talking about. Earth, wind, and fire. Yeah, I'm good there. But rap, I just can't cut my teeth on that. Outside of Sugar Hill, I'm tapped out. That's where I'm at. But, you know, we we look at people oftentimes and go, do I really have to love my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And and, and that's really the question. My neighbor, who who does it really include? What does it mean to love people that are not like me? People that don't talk like me, look like me, like the same kinds of foods that I like. Who's my neighbor? And Jesus says, let me tell you a story. Uh, there There was a Jewish man, verse 30. He was traveling from Jericho down to Jerusalem. And while he was en route, he was attacked by a band of robbers. And these guys beat him and stripped him of his clothes and stripped him of his money and they absolutely beat him, bloodied him and he was a mess and they left him on the side of the road basically to die. Get the narrative? There's this guy, a Jewish guy, a Jewish guy has been beat up. He's hurt, he's knocked down, he's afflicted and if he doesn't get immediate medical attention, there's a good chance this guy is going to die. Jesus says, uh, two guys happen to walk by him. 
A, a priest happened to walk by him. A priest was a person that represented the household of God, if you will. They're, they're kind of God's men to the community. He said a priest walked by. And, and a priest saw him and just decided to keep walking. But, but we can probably understand why the priest would do what the priest would do. He was probably justified in not taking action because... I mean, a priest had to go to God's house. He was going down to the temple and he had to make intercession uh, on behalf of the people to God. And a priest knew that he couldn't get dirty or contaminated or he, he couldn't hang out with that which was bloodied because it would jack up what he did. And he couldn't jack up what he did because he was representing God, right? And Jesus is like, yeah, so a priest walks by. And then he says, and then a Levite walked by and a Levite was one of those people in that day that would assist with a priest. Levites were known to serve uh, in the judicial system. And so they represented kind of the laws of the land where the priest represented the laws of God. And the Levite looks and he just keeps walking. And Jesus says, so there was this Jewish dude that had his lunch handed to him that got beat pretty bad. And he's laying in a ditch and he's all bloodied and a couple of your homies walk by him. That's what was happening. And then Jesus makes this statement. He says three words that absolutely devastate this guy's thinking process. He says, uh, but a Samaritan. No, 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 not a Samaritan. No, don't, don't tell me a Samaritan reached out when you're talking about neighboring and loving your neighbor. And he said, yeah, but, but a Samaritan walked by. And when the Samaritan walked by, he saw the guy. And he came to the guy, and he cared for the guy, and he extended compassion to the guy. A Samaritan poured oil and wine on the guy, and, and he cleaned him up, and he put him on his donkey, and he took him back to this inn, and he says, uh, here, here's the deal. If there's any more outstanding cost, I'll take care of him. Jesus uses three words, but a Samaritan. You want to love your neighbor? You really want to talk about loving your neighbor? You, you, you see, you know deep down inside your heart, you've got some racism working, right? You know that you're prejudiced. And so you want to talk about your neighbor, but you've got all this junk going on inside of your life. And the word prejudice is a crazy word when you think of it, because the word prejudice means to prejudge someone even though you don't know their story and their narrative, but you make conclusions about them based on where they're from or maybe the color of their skin or their accent or something, he goes, you got, you got issues. You can't love God without loving your neighbor and you're not willing to extend grace to your neighbor. You, you want to know who your neighbor really is? But a Samaritan stopped. And you see, the Jews hated the Samaritans and the Samaritans did what the Jews did to them. They just hated right back. You, you hate me, I'll hate you. For 700 years, the Jews and the Samaritans had hated each other. The Jews and the Samaritans, uh, 700 years before, the Jews had been exiled. And while the Jews were exiled, they started uh, this interracial marriage stuff. And, and so they started marrying people of different color and different beliefs. And the offspring was kind of this mixed race. And all of a sudden, the Jews would look at this mixed race and they named them Samaritans, which meant you're, you're a little less than human. You're not totally human. 
I mean, we're dogs of pedigree, the Jews. I mean, we're, we're, we're from the right lineage, right? We've got the blue blood, and you're a bunch of Sooners, and you're a bunch of mutts, and you're dogs with no pedigree, and we don't, we don't like y'all. And so 700 years of a hate fest, and all of a sudden, God in flesh, Jesus shows up, and a guy's going, who's my neighbor and he's like, you need to confront some prejudiced racial thoughts you've got working on because a Samaritan crossed the street. A Samaritan came to a Jew. The Jew probably would have even hated this Samaritan, but this guy reached out and extended the love of God to somebody that was hurting. Here's what I know about each and every one of us. Some of us walk in here today and uh, you've been beat up with life. And you've been crippled with life and you've been hurt and you've been damaged. And some of y'all walk in here today and maybe not externally, not physically, but mentally and emotionally, if you got totally honest, you would say, man, my soul is bloodied. Does anybody care? Will anybody love me? And I got good news. The good news of the gospel is that God loves each and every one of us. God calls us to love our neighbor. Now, let me say this while I'm here, this whole thought process of racism. Racism, again, is one of the stupidest arguments known to man. Genesis 2-7 says God made us out of dirt. I'm looking at people that were made out of dirt. Some people are white dirt and brown dirt and black dirt and red dirt, and one color of dirt cannot claim superiority over another color of dirt. Bible says from dirt you came and dirt you're going back to it. So I don't know about you, but based on the last stats, one out of one persons goes back to the worm buffet of dirt. <laughs> Racism isn't born. Say it again. Racism is not born. There is no such thing as a racist gene. I don't care what your medical understanding is but there's not a person born on this planet that's born with a racist gene racism is taught racism is learned there's three simple things i was thinking through of kind of how some people get framed or or maybe kind of get gripped with this whole mindset of racism it would be one this maybe you or a family member or a friend was the victim of hatred because of the color of your skin I can tell you in our culture that's happened in history, past, and it also happens now. It's easy to get stereotyped by the color of your skin. People will oftentimes suffer some type of hatred or some type of harm, and if we're not careful, we start to categorize that entire color of being a certain way. That is very foolish and very fallacious. But some of us walk in here today and our hearts have been hurt because somebody treated us uh, a little uh, disrespect, uh, re disrespectful with uh, some derogatory comments because of the color of our skin. I don't know what you've been through, but that can happen. But it can happen with any color. Here, here's the second thing. Racism oftentimes is handed down from one generation to the next generation. Uh, one generation had some prejudiced views. And all of a sudden, they want to pass it on to the next generation and the next generation. And we never stop to think through why I think the way I do. But maybe it was just something that was passed down. A third reason is probably because we're just ignorant. 
We haven't been exposed and we haven't had experiences with a variety of people groups. And some of us, we grew up just in our little sect and we never hung out with anyone else. And so, you know, when it came to my uh, life experiences, I can tell you that God allowed me to deal with people of all races and ages growing up. My dad did construction, eighth grade educated drywall man. And my dad did construction and there were guys out doing construction that hung drywall and painted and did roof work and were framers and brickwork. And there were guys out there back then in the 60s that were white and they were black. And there were people out there working on the job and these were just guys. And so I got to know these guys that did a variety of work. When my dad started a men's softball team, uh, I was probably six years old and him and my uncle had a softball team and half the team was white and half of them were black. And most of these guys they were guys that he did construction with. And so there was no racism. There was just these guys. I remember, you know, I played Little League ball. Dad, again, doing drywall work, had a pickup truck, and we'd have to take the buckets of sheetrock mud off the back and remove the corner bead. And we would go pick up our team. And on the back of the pickup truck, there would be five or six of us boys that were all playing on the same team and some were white and some were black and we were just on the back of the trunk having fun drinking our Gatorade just going to the ballpark and so God allowed me to have those experiences in life where I saw people as people and I'm like man we're, we're just people we're we're all made by God and I think for a lot of people, you didn't have the experience or you didn't have the exposure, or maybe you did. Something inside still triggered thinking, whatever color you are, I'm superior. There is no superior color in here. You see, the fundamental problem with racism is this. Racism is not a skin issue. Racism is a sin issue. People that leak into racism and even looking at how Jesus is confronting this expert in the law, what he's saying is it's not a skin issue you're dealing with. It's a sin issue of your heart. I've had people say that, I mean, racism, it's just the presence of hatred. And I'm like, no, it's really more of the absence of love. James chapter 2 Verse 9, he says, if you show partiality, you are committing sin and you're convicted by the law as a transgressor. Even James writing, first century believer, if you show partiality, do you not realize you're convicted by the law as being a transgressor? You're breaking the heart of the gospel there. The heart of the gospel is loving God and loving others. And we're all different. We're all different. Every one of us that walks in here, we're, we're, we're different. I remember reading the book, The Same Kind of Different as Me, and I, I love that book because it was this white guy that was a six-figure income and this black guy that was grown up on a plantation down in Louisiana. And these two guys get together and they form such an incredible friendship. And their conclusion is, you're the same kind of different as me. I mean, it doesn't matter where you come from. You're the same kind of different as me. Deep down inside your heart, you've got four simple laws, the longing for love, acceptance, worth, and for women, it's security, and for guys, it's significance, and deep down inside, all you're trying to figure out is who loves me, accepts me, do I really have worth, does my life really matter? I don't know what you've been through. I don't know the narrative of your story, but I know that God loves you, and we love you, and I don't know how you've been treated, and I don't know how you've been rejected. 
But reality is we all need God's help to overcome the prejudices that we have inside of our heart. Each and every one of us, if we're not careful, we can still lean into some of those bents that we had. And every person is beautiful. And every person matters to God. I like what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Lutheran pastor who ended up being martyred for his faith during the Hitler regime when he was annihilating Jews. He Bonhoeffer was a pastor, and he's proclaiming the gospel, and he ends up being martyred. Listen to what he says. He says, judging others makes us blind, where loving others is illuminating. By judging others, we blind ourselves to our own evil and to the grace which God has extended to others, just as he's extended us to us. Other people are entitled to the grace of the gospel as much as I am if not even more so. God loves us. God has been pursuing us. God wants to change us. But God wants us to know deep down inside of our hearts that one of the greatest ways we reflect him to the world is by how well we love other people. I was told growing up from some of the poverty and pain that my dad had come out of, I heard dad say, uh, rich people think they're better than us. Like, really? That's not true. Some of my best friends had money. Some of my best friends were broke. I'll never forget my first car was a 65 Chevrolet Impala. And I'd have to put a quart of oil in that thing about every 38 miles. (laughs) I had Maypops as tires that were retreaded. Maypops meant they may pop anytime you're going down the road, so be careful. But Nick Slade's one of my best friends. Nick grew up as a silver spooner. His dad was a Delta pilot. He got a new Jeep when he turned 16. Can I tell you something? I love Nick Slade. Lord, I forgive Nick for the way he grew up in Jesus' name. (laughs) But have you ever heard those kind of blanket statements? Well, they think they're better than we are. What does that mean? That's not true. I've heard people make observations that heavy people are lazy. Really? I've seen some skinny folks that's lazy. I've seen some tall people lazy and some short people lazy and some heavy people lazy. But I've seen some heavy people that will outwork you. But we get stereotyped, right? We, well, that younger generation, I'm telling you, these millennial kids right here, 17, 18, they don't want to work. They live with an entitlement mindset. I know some that will outwork some of you. The reality is they do need to get better work ethic. So Jesse, you're more in the grass when you get home today. So, <laughs> but stereotypes, you heard them. I was told when I was the only white kid on our basketball team, white boys can't jump. Well, that was true about this white boy. <laughs> so I learned how to boot out. So I'm like, we got to create some level playing field. But I've seen some white guys that can jump out of the gym. But if we're not careful, we start to stereotype and and label people. I I don't know how you grew up. I don't know how you were rejected. I don't know how you were mistreated. But I can tell you this. The gospel is for all people. God loves each and every one of us. Jesus even makes the radical statement again. You know how the world is really going to be able to tell that y'all belong to me? 
Because you go to church. Oh, you've got the right doctrine. Oh, you use the right translation. Jesus makes the statement, the world will know that you belong to me by how well you love one another. The world's going to know that you reflect me and I'm in you. And they're going to see that you belong to me because of how well you treat your neighbor. You don't take advantage of your neighbor. You don't dog your neighbor. You don't, you don't look at their financial portfolio and you don't look at their zip code and you don't look at their street address and you're not looking what kind of ride they showed up in on a Sunday morning and you're not looking at their threads and you're not looking at the color of their skin. They're going to know you belong to me because you love your, your neighbor. So I think the question we have to ask is who is my neighbor? Who, who is my neighbor? And I'll tell you that your neighbor is the next person that you'll come in contact with. Your neighbor is the person sitting beside you in front behind you right now. When you walk out of here, your, your, your neighbor is going to be the next person you have contact with. Our neighbors all around us. Yeah, when you sit down at the restaurant and the waitress is a little slow on getting your order to you, that's your neighbor. Jesus said, love her with dignity. The person that cuts you off in the parking lot when you leave here today. You've been in church, hide the finger, but also clean up the attitude. That's your neighbor. How do I love my neighbor? I love my neighbor like Jesus loves me. How did Jesus love you? While I was still a sinner, Romans 5 says, God loved me. While you were still a sinner, yes. While you were getting hammered driving down the road, he loved me. When I showed up drunk and my dad pins me up against the wall, God loved me as much then as he does now. When I had tripped into porn, God loved me. When I was trying to find worth and identity apart from him, while I was still a sinner. Really? He loved me. Go love your neighbor. When they clean up their language. Yeah, yeah. you know the storm that came through the other night? My neighbor, man, their recycle bin. You, you, you know how many Budweiser cans I had to pick up because of my neighbor? Go, go pick them up and love your na- neighbor. While I was still a sinner, Christ died for the ungodly me. He loves me. So he tells me to go love my neighbor. Go love them the way I love you. Go reflect me to your world. Yeah, but there's some neighbors I really don't like to hang out with. Go love them. How will they ever know that we belong to him if we don't love our neighbor? It's not the color of the skin. It's the substance of our hearts. 
Racism and prejudice thinking has blocked many of us from being able to experience some of the deeper things of God. My mentor Crawford was over the other day. Crawford grew up, his great-grandfather was a slave. Crawford grew up in Newark and Philadelphia area. Crawford's a black dude. But I never have seen him that way. I see him as a godly dude full of wisdom and grace and truth. And he's been my mentor for over 20 years. I would have missed out so much on the beauty of God if I would have labeled a person based on the color of their skin. Some of my best friends. Neil's from Trinidad. He's darker than I am. I've been labeled a cracker and a honky and whatever. You've heard it. We miss out on some of the things that God really wants to teach us when we refuse to love our neighbor, when we refuse to break down the prejudices that maybe we were taught. You don't have a racist gene. Let me go ahead and announce this. The Cross Loganville believes that there is one race, and it is called the human race. That's what we believe here. We believe that every person that walks in here is a part of the human race. And God loves us all. I was pondering in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. He says, I saw a great multitude. John is on the Isle of Patmos. He's having this revelatory time with God of what it's going to look like around the throne when all people who are redeemed, are around the throne. And he says, I saw a great multitude, too great to count. And there were people from every nation and every tribe and every people group and every language. And they were standing in front of the throne of the Lamb of God. And they were clothed in white. And they were shouting, salvation comes from our Lord. Salvation comes from the God on the throne and from the Lamb of God. Salvation belongs to him. And the people were shouting and singing, saying, Amen. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever and ever. Amen. Who was shouting? People from all nations, all colors, all languages. And if that's where I'm going, I want to be about it right now. I want to be about it right now. I want to see every wall broken down. That people can come together under the agape love of Christ. All nations, all tongues. And we can worship one true king together. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. I love what he says. He says, uh, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will repent of their sin, place their faith and confidence in Jesus. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Really? Yeah. Who, who, whoever, whoever 
Yeah, whoever. So in 1988, I go to Korea doing some mission work over there for a, a few weeks. And can I tell you something? I met some whoever's that were Korean that were calling on the name of the Lord. They were worshiping. I may not have understood their language, but I understood who they were talking to. 1989, I'm doing a baseball camp in Vancouver. My buddy Davin and his wife were here. Davin was a 16-year-old boy from Red Deer, Alberta. He grew up about 80 miles north of Calgary. And somehow his mom and dad found out about this baseball camp and they bring him there. And Davin, a whoever from Red Deer, is responding to the gospel of Jesus and surrendering to the Lordship of Christ. And 16 years ago, I fly back to Red Deer and did a wedding for Davin and Kristen, who were just a, a couple of whoever's from Canada. And now he's one of my best friends for almost 30 years and what a beautiful family. But I'm like, he was just a whoever. And when the whoever from Canada met the redneck whoever from Noonan, they just came together because they were both just worshiping the same God. And being able to go to the Dominican and Venezuela and Jamaica and other places, Bangkok, can I tell you, I've met a bunch of whoever's all over the place. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I don't know what you're battling today. Don't know what addiction you're battling today. Don't know what a kind of struggle you may find yourself in, but I got good news for you. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord can be saved. I'm just a whoever talking to a bunch of other whoever's whoever. So maybe you say, but I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. Whoever. Well, you don't know what I made on the SAT. Who, who, whoever. You don't know what my past looks like, Cash. Whoever. You don't know what my bondages have been. Who, whoever. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And we repent and place our faith and confidence in Christ. So who's my neighbor? Everybody that I'm going to run into. He says in verse 12 of Romans 10, right before that great verse I just quoted in 13, there's no difference between a Jew and Gentile. There, there's no difference in a Jew and a Gentile. The same Lord is the Lord of all, and he richly blesses all who call on him. Man, the veil of the temple has been torn. We all get in the same way. There's no difference. So everybody that belongs to the Father belongs to everybody else that belongs to the Father. We're the body of Christ, and it's time for the body of Christ to get serious about loving their neighbor. So Jesus wraps up that story in Luke chapter 10, looking at the lawyer, and he says, Hey, I got a question for you. You want to talk about loving your neighbor, and who's your neighbor, and what does it mean to really neighbor? Yeah. Yeah, because I got a question for you. Uh, which of those three that passed by the Jewish bloodied uh, dude, who, who, who do you think was his neighbor? Who, who, who do you think extended the heart of heaven to that guy? I mean, you've got to 
Jewish priest and you've got the Levite and you've got the one representing the house of God and the laws of the land. Who, who do you think was a neighbor? He said, uh, the one that was a neighbor was the one who showed mercy. M mercy meaning extended the kindness and compassion of God to someone who was living in misery, experiencing misery. Who, who do you think the neighbor was? That despicable mixed breed mutt that you've labeled was the neighbor. Who do you think was the neighbor? The one who showed mercy. And then he says this. This is Jesus. Hey, go do the same. Go do the same. Who's your neighbor? Who are you struggling with? Who are you unwilling to love? I know you might have been crushed. You might have been hurt. Who are you unwilling to forgive? Who are you going to continue to judge? While we were still yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Who's your neighbor? Go love your neighbor.